Hey guys, Ted here. Given the plot points in this episode and the things that we discuss regarding those plot points and what they are supposed to be parodying, namely sexual assault and consent, I just wanted to give you this warning up top. Listener discretion is advised. kind is it? Meatball and cheese, I think. Mm. Um, mm. The downvoter gave them to us because he is not a meatball person, mm. and he bought them by mistake. Oh, dang it. Yeah. They changed up the sleeve. Oh, so yeah? Now you ha- yeah, now it like comes with um, like a perforation on the sleeve so that you like fold one end down, but you you cook it first. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you fold it down. While it's piping hot, and you have to grab it, I guess. Am I doing this right? I feel like you mean like they they made it into like a little a little actual pocket that you can like hold it and eat out of, right? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. Which I feel like was always the intent, but I don't know. Yeah, now they 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 installed like a little tab and a slot or something like that. Yeah, it's it's not the best and. My fingers are covered in Hot Pocket brand pizza sauce now. Mm. Yeah, I haven't had a Hot Pocket in a while, but I do remember them trying to implement that sort of thing. Like, we're all eating Hot Pockets on the go. It's like, no, if you're if you're eating a Hot Pocket, you don't want anybody to see you do it. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I can agree with that. Like, no it, one's, like, not... taking it on the subway or anything. Yeah, it's not like, whoa, a Hot Pocket? That guy must be busy. <laughs> yeah, it's... yeah. Whoa, a Hot Pocket? Are you okay? <laughs> yeah. Whoa, a Hot Pocket? Do, do, You've given do you need up? To, do you need someone to talk to? It's yeah. okay. I'm, I'm here. Yeah. It doesn't have, like, the same hip branding as, like, Starbucks or a, um, a, yeah. <laughs> a Jamba Juice cup or something like that. Or or even, even Chipotle's burrito wrap, you know? Even though yeah, they oh my god, just like yeah. the plain foil. Yeah. Like, you, you know it's Chipotle. Exactly. And... and, and and if it's not, that just speaks more to Chipotle that they were able to like brand something so plain. Yeah, and want to do you know most brands don't like Coke gets mad when you say when you call any cola Coke, and Xerox gets mad when you call any copying a, a Xerox. But Chipotle's like, yeah, we're just plain foil. Anytime you see foil, think of us, and it works so much yeah, it, it's so much cooler exactly. than them trying to like protect <laughs> or kleenex like you know no 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 it's a facial tissue it's not kleenex you know but the the danger with that kind of stuff is you can lose your you know any copyright power if it comes to the point so that's why i do know that's why brands do that like so if someone starts calling something coke and coke doesn't jump on it they'll you know the courts will be like well people have been calling stuff like that coke for decades so you have no standing it's like ah damn it we didn't protect our our trademark so i guess it is a little different Maybe it's more like Coke sort of owning Santa Claus or the color red or something like that, you know? Mm, yeah, I can see and that. Thinking, anytime you see a classic Santa Claus, you're like, oh, well, he's definitely drinking Coke. These um these meatballs are like SpaghettiO quality. Like, you know those meatballs? Yeah, delicious. They're... I, <laughs> I, I like them, Yeah, but I, I think I was expecting something different for a Hot Pocket. Mm, yeah. It's not bad. Um, It's not good, but it's not bad. Yeah. Those meatballs, SpaghettiO meatballs, are like as close to dog food as I think the FDA will let us eat. 
without them having to actually label it dog food. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Oh, I just heated up this dog food hot pocket, and I got to jump on the subway. What? Well, look, it turns into a little. I can turn the foil into a little pocket. This is perfect. Oh, this is great. Thanks, Hot Pockets. <laughs> now I can eat my dog food on the subway. Perfect. What a meanwhile, great day it's going to be. Meanwhile, the naked, overweight guy on the subway across the, <laughs> across the aisle from you is like, what a weirdo. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you're like, I'm not ashamed of my food choices. And he's like, that's your thing. You should be. <laughs> oh, Ernie Sabella. Hey, we brought it back around. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh man. Okay. I I will I will eat the rest of that once it uh cools down a little bit more and once you're into your homework. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> that's how that's how little you have input on the on the homework. I I mean it it's not not by design, but it, it kind of morphed into that. <laughs> I guess it did kind of. I always leave it open for you to like you know, comment on like, oh, well, that. But I guess there really yeah. is no. And, so, and some sometimes I do. Sometimes yeah. like I'll I'll have uh, like input on some of the things, but a lot of yeah. times, no, I, I I won't even say a lot of the times. Um, but th- there will be times where it'll be like, Ted, did you know this movie came out in like 1943? And I'll be like, <laughs> wow. And th- and that, that that's really at the time all the input I can really think of. You know? Yeah. Yeah. True. <laughs> <laughs> True. Okay. So, should we get going? Might as well, yeah. All right. Welcome to No Hugging, No Learning. It's a show about one thing, watching Seinfeld. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't. Uh, watching Seinfeld for the first time. I'm Tim Murphy. And I'm Ted Hollowell. And today we will be talking about the Merv Griffin Show, Season 9, Episode 6. But before that, we did have some homework from our last episode, The Junk Mail. First up, I did do a little dive, just like I knew I would. I have the time. Uh, I did a little dive on The Last Tango in Paris, which George did not actually see with fake Summer Jerry. It is not based on the sexy book Tropic of Cancer, which George uh, checked out of the... I'm sorry, was it Jerry or George that checked it out of the library? Jerry checked it out of the library, lent it to George, and then uh, their gym teacher gave George an atomic wedgie and the book was lost forever. I thought Tropic of Cancer had something to do with Last Tango in Paris. It does not. Mm. Last okay. Tango in Paris is a 1972 erotic drama directed by Bernardo Bertolucci, which portrays a recently widowed American, played by Marlon Brando, who begins an anonymous sexual relationship with a young Parisian woman, played by Maria Schneider. And I, I was really interested, in, and mainly this is about the fervor and just the hysteria over this movie just because of its portrayal of sexual violence and emotional turmoil uh, that led to international controversy and drew various levels of government censorship in different different jurisdictions. When it was released in the U.S., the MPAA gave it an X rating. Hmm. The studio released an R-rated cut in 1981, and then in 97, after the film became a part of the MGM library, the film was reclassified as NC-17. It was banned completely to varying extent, in Chile, Portugal, Argentina, South Korea, Singapore, Venezuela, and Nova Scotia, Canada. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, uh, I had no clue about any of this. <laughs> uh, you know, I didn't either. I just knew, you know, when, when did I say it came out? Uh, 1972. And then it wasn't okay. even released. <laughs> it was re- released as an X-rated movie and then an R-rated cut for some reason in 81. I don't know why. But when it was released in Italy, so maybe it didn't even come out in the States until 81. I'm, I'm not even sure. But in Italy, where I think the director was from, uh, the film was released in 1972 in December. And it grossed, at the time, an unprecedented $100,000 in six days. 
<laughs> I know. <laughs> that that seems like nothing now. Holy hell. I know. <laughs> if, if you if you do $100,000 in 6 days, you're a flop. Yeah, yeah, you have ruined yeah, you have ruined a lot of investors. <laughs> you're, you're you're never going to work in Hollywood again if you make 100,000 in 6 days. <laughs> Uh, one week later, police seized all copies on the order of a prosecutor who defined the film as self-serving pornography, and its director was put on trial for obscenity. And following first-degree and appeal trials, the fate of the film was sealed uh, in 1976 by the Italian Supreme Court, which sentenced all copies to be destroyed, and the director, Bertolucci, got a four-month suspended sentence in prison and couldn't vote for five years. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I guess uh, that's just how dirty this movie is. Uh, there was He did get a Best Director Oscar nod, and Marlon Brando got a Best Actor nod, and Rotten Tomatoes retrospectively collected 40 reviews and gave the film an approval rating of 83%, uh, with an average rating of 7.78 out of 10. So, you know, kind of artsy uh, and, uh, you know, very erotic, I guess. Well, let me tell you this. Um, I can have the Blu-ray of the unrated, the uncut version of Last Tango in Paris to my door, by this Thursday, if I wanted it, for $11.79. <laughs> it's great living in a free country like America, <laughs> not fascist I, Italy. I say I, we may have to do this for a Patreon extra. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I, doubt the un- the... I doubt the uncut version is streaming anywhere. Probably not, probably not anywhere, but like the Criterion channel, you know. Oh, it seems God. right up there, Allie. But a little bit later... So as I was reading about this, we, we may want we may we may want to take a pass on this movie because there's a there's a scene involving sodomy and butter. As I mentioned the butter last time, I didn't mention the sodomy, but that's really where a lot of people kind of drew the line and started walking out of this movie. But that scene, the actress came out later and said that like that wasn't in the script, and she showed up one day and they were like, okay, so uh, in this scene, Marlon Brando rapes you, and she's like, wait, what? And she was just so young and didn't know enough in the business, and and really, I mean, this is what you we heard a lot during like the when the Me Too era was ramping up, was it like she didn't know she could say no? And also, she's like a young actress on this movie yeah. with this director and the great Marlon Brando. So who is she to say no? And she only came out much later. I mean, like 2015 or something like that. And 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 even the director like gave talks where he talked about like really tormenting her in like a very probably like Kubrick kind of way where he wanted this performance out of her. So he like, you know, th- so they treated her like, literal garbage in order to you know like very very be very method about it so ah um, uh, yes movie making of the 70s baby bingo <laughs> that's a bingo right there so yeah i don't know if it's one we want to delve into but you know if the if the people call for it you know <laughs> oh, if, the no. paying customers... if, uh, if, if the paying customers demand that we watch the uncut version of last tango in paris <laughs> Then our then our our hands are tied. Um, but Tim, yeah, it is streaming yeah. for free with ads on Pluto TV. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's what I want! Like right in the middle of a, a scene <laughs> of a of a sodomy rape scene, to, like to be blasted by a 150 decibel ad for a Nissan. <laughs> oh no, I'm sure Nissan would love that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh no. Well, what uh, ads are you thinking? That's what happens on Pluto all the time. Like, there's I know. no, it, there's <laughs> there's an ad break. You're like, oh, cool. There's an ad break during that show. That's not where the ads go. Pluto says the ads go wherever they say they go. <laughs> uh, so I think right there, when when Marlon Brando is in the throes of ecstasy, that's where we're going to see the Nissan ad. Uh, so, but you know, I mean, the the paying customers might. Um, 
Well, the non-paying customers, I might, I guess, might get me and you, me, my first tattoo, and you, your first Seinfeld tattoo. So we're putting a lot of power in their hands. I think people can tell how desperate we are to expand <laughs> our audience. <laughs> hey, hey, I wouldn't say desperate. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, eager. We're eager to expand our we audience. We are eager to expand our audience, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's true. We're doing just fine. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, did you see, you saw the uh, perfect amount of space I have for uh, that George tattoo on the back of my arm, right? True, yeah. So right I, I think if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. <laughs> it would look great. Uh, I don't know where I would put it if I had to get it. I'd probably just get a, a tramp stamp. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it, folks. All you have to do is quintuple our listenership. And that's and hey, that's you, you, you're the one who set the quintuple barrier. I'm I'm all the way down at quadruple. Well, that's all, oh, I thought that was um yeah, I thought it was double for some reason. But I guess you're right, it was quadruple. <laughs> but that's quintuple our listenership after it's been quadrupled. So like after we quadruple it and you get your tattoo, <laughs> oh god, then okay. it gets quintupled. Yeah, exactly. So what about this guy who played the Wiz, uh, whose name was Jack, who Elaine starts dating because she's enamored with him just from this uh, deep-seated memory of him being in these commercials for the Wiz. Uh, He is Tobias Huss. He was born in 66, so he's 54 right now. And I, when I read this, I could not believe I was kicking myself because I should have recognized him. He's known maybe mostly, maybe mostly for people my age uh, or by people my age for portraying Artie, the strongest man in the world on the adventures of Pete and Pete. Oh my God. Really? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I, once I realized that I knew it because I was like, I feel like I saw him on MTV or something like from that era, but for sure from like 93 to 96, when Pete and Pete was running, and that, and that was a Nickelodeon show, but it was still from that era where it was all kind of fuzzy, but also, you know, it, it was still kind of absurd and kind of they were running. They were letting artists, I feel like, run Nickelodeon to some aspect, you know, because that show was just, I think it came up when we were talking about the golden age of Nickelodeon before when we were just like rattling off. Well, because of Melody Taylor being on Hey Dude uh, yeah. from around the same time. Yeah. But The Adventures of Pete and Pete was just really weird and i I should have remembered already the strongest man in the world but uh he was also get this he's also known for his voiceover work on the long-running animated series king of the hill he is cotton hill he's the voice of cotton what i know what yeah the whiz is cotton hill yes Uh, i couldn't oh my god i couldn't believe when i read that that cotton hill is not an actual old man yeah i I mean i i never would have pictured like from watching him on uh on last week's episode I never would have pictured him being Cotton Hill. Yeah, me neither. Holy hell. Okay. Yeah, he must have to really get into character to do that. But get this. I was disheartened to read this, too. He also is the voice of Khan. Oh. I oh, know. No. Hey. <laughs> well, I mean, um, it was a different time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was uh, like, com- I guess it's, yeah. I'm like, oh man, I wish I wish it was around long enough for them to pull an Apu, get someone else to actually, you know, an actual Asian American to start voicing that role. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like <laughs> uh, um, the Cleveland show was yeah. canceled just in time for Mike Henry, who is a white man and does the voice of Cleveland, right. to resign from the role of Cleveland before he, he was like canceled for doing it. Which yeah, I, yeah. I think is I think is the right move because I mean he's been doing that voice since two thousand and one. Yeah. Um, so, and, but I, Cleveland I, is still on. Family Guy is still running, right? So Cleveland is still on, and they've just recast the role, right? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think I remember. God, I, I haven't watched yeah. Family Guy in a long time. A long time. 
Yeah, and I honestly don't even know how that Apu thing shook out. I mean, he's still on The Simpsons, right? But doesn't Hank Azaria not do his voice anymore? Correct. Yeah. Okay, so they actually got an Indian or an Indian American to to do that role. I think so. Yeah. I, I don't know who they cast. Right, right. I, I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember how that shook out, but um, I remember him. And I, I love the... I, I'm, I like that the voice people are like, whatever. I remember... I remember what's his face. Uh, what's his name? Did I just say it and I already forgot it? <laughs> um, who's the guy that does the voice? Doesn't it start with uh, who of Apu? Yeah, Hank Azaria. Hank Azaria. Yeah. So I just remember Hank Azaria going and Mike Henry for that matter going. Yeah. What? Uh, okay. I won't do the voice. I don't care. Like I like that they didn't make a big deal about it. You know. Uh, um. It looks like he. It looks like Hank Azaria might still voice Apu. That can't be right. Well, yeah, on Wikipedia, it says 1990 to 2020. So is he just gone? Yeah, did they just retire the Apu character? Obviously, we're out of the loop on this. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, wait. I think I remember now in either a cold open. Uh, t- I-, I say cold open like The Simpsons is SNL. In one of the couch gags or just in one of the episodes, they had a framed photo of Apu um, as though he were dead. Um, wow. I know they did that earlier in the series for for Edna, for Edna Krabappel, whenever she, um, yeah. Marsha Wallace died. Marsha Wallace? Is that her name? Yeah, yeah. When it, yeah, whenever her voice actor died. But I think they did the same thing for Apu. Uh, yeah, I haven't I seen any It's like Matt that... Groening is hopeful to bring back the Apu character. Right. But he has been sidelined until a new voice actor can be found. And I mean, fuck, The Simpsons is going to go on until season 100 anyway, so I'm, I'm sure they'll find him. <laughs> yeah. Let me see. Oh, this guy. To, so Tobias Huss also, who I think also went by Toby. I think Toby Huss is what he went by um, mm, Okay, professionally. He was also Felix Stumpy Dreyfus on Carnival on HBO, and he played John Bosworth on the AMC drama Halt and Catch Fire, which is about the uh, PC days. I also recognized him from Vegas Vacation as the fake ID slash... Frank Sinatra guy that gives Ethan Embry his fake ID in that movie. Do you remember that? Hmm. I I do not. Oh, uh, he's always like just singing on the street and he has a, a board okay. and yeah, he, he gives him a fake ID. And I, I said I also remembered him from MTV and this is where I remembered him from MTV. In the early 90s, he appeared in promos for MTV playing odd characters, including a crooner known at the time as Old Two Eyes. Uh, a playoff of Frank Sinatra's. And obviously the guy was a Sinatra fan because he kind of had that, he had that act. I remember like, hey, baby, um, like that kind of swinging 50s Vegas lounge singer act thing. But yeah. they called him Old Two Eyes, who sang lounge singer versions of Dr. Dre's Dre Day, Cypress Hill's Insane in the Mem- uh, Insane in the Brain, and Pearl Jam's Jeremy, and Onyx's hit Slam. And I definitely remember him. You know, he'd get up there and say, Insane in the Membrane, Insane in the Brain, hey, he's kooky. You know, I, I distinctly remember <laughs> okay. those promos. Um, so that was him. And he also played a James Bond-like spy named Cobalt, a leather fetishist with an abnormal affection for goats, a flannel-wearing doofus, an angry redneck named Reverend Tex Stovehead-Bottom. That sounds hilarious. Uh, who delivered uh, fast-talking and descriptively detailed non-sequitur tirades that usually included the phrase, Go to hell! <laughs> oh, <laughs> I want to see Reverend Tex Stovehead-Bottom. Uh. That sounds hilarious. I wonder what came first, um, his lounge singer character <laughs> or the artist Richard Cheese? I'm going to guess uh, Toby Huss, but I don't know. I, I don't know. I feel like it's got to be close because that's that's Richard Cheese's entire gimmick. Yeah, I forgot about that. But I remember it being so uh, the years that Richard Cheese's years active are listed as 2000 to present. Hmm. 
But it says he developed the singer idea in the mid-90s, and his work was first broadcast in 2000 on the Dr. Demento show. Okay. So mid-90s has citation needed next to it, so I don't know. Maybe he saw it. And when when did you say Toby Huss started this character? Early 90s. Mm. Yeah. So Richard Mm. Cheese, we need you to clear this up. We're not saying you stole it. We're not mad at you. Okay. (laughs) But um, we'd love to know. Yeah, I forgot all about that, but I, you know... Uh, it, it's a funny, uh, you know, I, that always works for me. Genre swapping. Like it, it just, I, I'm always interested in it no matter what, you know, <laughs> I just think it's funny. Um, that's why, uh, what's it? Um, uh, jukebox. What's that? Damn it. Why can't I think today? Um, postmodern, postmodern jukebox. jukebox? Yeah, postmodern jukebox. Okay. That's their whole thing. You know? So what about Dana Gould who played <laughs> fragile Frankie Merman? He is 57 now, uh, born in 64, an American stand up actor, writer, and voice artist who's been featured on HBO, Showtime, and Comedy Central. He began performing on stage at age 17, and he has done pretty much a voice or just another one of these guys that has done a voice or a one-off episode of any number of shows, from Family Guy to Ellen. Uh, that's Ellen's sitcom, not Ellen's talk show, although he might have been on that. Um, Roseanne, King of Queens, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, Dumb and Dumberer, he's in that for a bit, uh, Parks and Rec, and he wrote on The Simpsons, for seven years, from 01 to 07, and he was co-executive producer from season 14 through season 18, uh, from 02 to 07. And he also Jeez. did some voices on The Simpsons, yeah. So that's pretty much the only dive I did on, on Dana Gould. What about Nobody Beats The Wiz? The Wiz, also known at times as Nobody Beats The Wiz, was a chain of electronic stores in the northeastern United States, located primarily, primarily in New York, Pennsylvania, and Jersey, plus some in Canada. Founded by four brothers in NYC in 77, and later they did officially change the name to Nobody Beats the Wiz. So it was, I guess we were kind of both right about our our memory of that store, never having even been to it. But it was at some points called The Wiz, and at some points called Nobody Beats the Wiz. And the reason I remember that is because I just remember the sign saying the whole thing. I'm like, why would you put the slogan? You know, it's like, no, the store was called Nobody Beats the Wiz for a while. Yeah. Yeah, and and um, whenever I was watching back through it uh, to look for cover art yeah. for last week's episode, the commercial says, this week and nobody beats the Wiz. I'm like, wow. son of a bitch. All right. <laughs> During the early to mid-90s, Nobody Beats the Wiz was a major sponsor for all the local New York sports franchises, the Yankees, Knicks, Mets, Nets, Rangers, Devils, Islanders, and also the Baltimore Orioles, Philadelphia Flyers, uh, and the Whalers and the Canadians. So... You know, Jeez. you could see him pretty much at any ice rink on the eastern seaboard, <laughs> the northeastern seaboard at least. Uh, in 98, after having expanded from 20 stores to over 80 in less than a year, the chain filed for bankruptcy and was purchased by Cablevision, of all things, for $80 hmm. million, dollars, which I think is very low for a brand. Yeah. For an entire brand of like 80 stores, just uh, that's a million dollars a store. I just did the math. 80 stores, $80 million. Yeah, you're uh, literally buying like probably what they do in sales yeah. in like the Christmas season. Yeah, yeah. Or like, like that's all, that's very low. Like all the inventory. Like what's your inventory yeah. worth? That's what I'm buying. <laughs> like they're they're literally just buying like the inventory and if uh if the company owned their buildings. You yeah, know, that's yeah. that's probably it. You know? Yeah. I just think it's so weird that Cablevision, like a cable yeah. company bought them. Like what were you guys gonna do? What was the I guess I can see the synergy between an electronic store and you know, so what? You start selling cable in there, like a lot of you know. You go into Best Buy and you can sign up for Dish or whatever. Um, 
but but it didn't work because here's where they made their first bonehead move. They eventually, I don't know when, but they dropped the slogan "Nobody Beats the Wiz," which is like <laughs> McDonald's it, dropping. I'm why, loving it at this point. Was this when they were still going by the name "Nobody Beats the Wiz"? <laughs> that I don't <laughs> know because I don't know how long they were. But I mean, just to uh, maybe. I mean, even that makes it even dumber. But like that's. Like, you know, this week, nobody beats the whiz. You're going to love our deals. And (laughs) that's our catchphrase. (laughs) That's our slogan. But it is like Burger King dropping the Whopper. Like, we're not going to call it the Whopper anymore. It's just called our huge burger. (laughs) Like, like, why would you drop the thing everybody knows you for? This week at Good Deal Magic Man. (laughs) At its peak. The firm's revenues were $1.4 billion with 2,000 employees operating 94 stores, but the chain closed permanently in 2003. So no more. And then somebody just kind of bought the name, you know, kind of like whoever bought, although, you know, those rumors about Toys R Us coming back are constantly rumbling, but just kind of like somebody yeah. bought Sears, somebody bought Toys R Us, somebody bought Nobody Beats the Wiz. I don't think they've done anything with it, but somebody bought it out there. It's not just in the public domain, which would be cool. <laughs> what about Anthony Quinn? Kramer wants to trade the shirt that he stole off of Anthony Quinn when he took it off to exercise in the park for Jerry's van. And uh, Anthony Quinn, who was born in 1915, passed away in 2001, Mexican-American actor, painter, writer, and film director, uh, known known for his portrayal of earthy, passionate characters, marked by a brutal and elemental virility. Uh, I don't know who said that, but it's in quotes. I know. Um, He was in, previously mentioned in Seinfeld, Viva Zapata, uh, when Jerry asked Elaine if her trip to Mexico could have just been a bag of uh, tortilla chips and watching Viva Zapata. Uh, He was in The Guns of Navarone, Lawrence of Arabia, a Walk in the Clouds. He also had an Oscar-nominated titular role in Zorba the Greek. So that's okay. all, that's all the dive I did on Mr. Anthony Quinn. Uh, Spike Ferriston. So that's all, that was all of our homework. Here's some trivia and tidbits. Uh, Spike Ferriston wrote the junk mail largely as an expression of his frustration at getting Pottery Barn catalogs in his mailbox on a near daily basis. So that kind of answers our question about why they picked Pottery Barn, just because Spike was dealing with Pottery Barn. So why not just call him out? <laughs> Why, that, why not just target them directly? Yeah, why not just use it? <laughs> uh, the Postmaster General in the episode is Henry Atkins, but that is a fictional character. I was kind of disappointed to find out uh, because the real Postmaster... Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> the real Postmaster at the time the episode was produced was Marvin T. Runyon. That's a great name. Why it not is? use that? Yeah. Well, you can just call me Marvin. Marvin T. Runyon, the Postmaster General? It's still funny. <laughs> Honestly, I think the middle initial makes it funnier. Yeah, and and still get Wilford. I don't know what he looked like, but still get Wilford Brimley to play him. That's even funnier. Yeah, why not? Like, yeah, people find out. <laughs> like the guy can be like a a mid thirties beanpole, but get Wilford yeah. Brimley to play him, and it's <laughs> it's great. The character David Putty jokingly suggests that Elaine might fall in love with the Maytag repairman. Both of the actors who had played the Maytag repairman up to this time had appeared in earlier episodes of Seinfeld. Jesse what? White. Yeah, Jesse White played Ralph, a retirement community resident in the Cadillac, and Gordon Jump is Mr. Tomasulo. Oh, my <laughs> yeah, God. isn't that awesome? <laughs> That's incredible. I wonder if they even knew that because <laughs> it's just a funny. It's a real life. It's not a cartoon. Yeah, you know, mascot. So it it makes sense to just say, you know, what if we walk by the Maytag repairman? You leave me. You know, it's just it's just random that both of the Maytag repairmen have been on the show before. <laughs> 
and, and I say that they might have known only because I know Jesse White was like an old stand-up that Jerry Seinfeld was a big fan of, and that's why he uh, cast him as that retirement community resident. I remember talking about him when we talked about the Cadillac, and it was like one of the last things that he did before he passed away, but but Jerry Seinfeld was such a big fan that he put him in that. So he might have known and included it as a nod, but who knows. Uh, mm-hmm. Some deleted scenes from the episode include an opening scene in which Elaine tries to refill her coffee at Monk's herself and an ending scene which got cut in which it's revealed that Jerry's van was bought by Jack who refurbishes it as a nobody beats the whiz van and takes Elaine on a date in it, loudly introducing her <laughs> to prospective customers as Lady Wiz, which I oh think is... God hilarious and the ending to elaine's storyline that we needed yeah yeah because her storyline just ended out of nowhere yeah i remember us being very dismayed not only that but i mean we had like 30 seconds of of theme song yes george uh putting his face in his hands (laughs) yeah they couldn't fit that in that little segment right there i mean come on apparently not Apparently not. It really would have added something to the episode. But yeah, but the, the junk mail is also an episode where they start with the plot immediately. So that opening, that cold open that had nothing to do with the episode that they had to ditch about Elaine refilling her coffee amongst herself is, um, you know, they just had to, to ditch it completely for that. So it's weird that they, you know, they chopped off the beginning and the end and still had that 30 seconds of, of filler music, you know. The episode contains various allusions to the Shakespeare play Hamlet. It involves around madness and troubled parent-child relations with George's suspicions against his parents echoing Hamlet's distrust of Gertrude and Claudius. Uh, the scene in the park is reminiscent of the graveyard scene in Hamlet, and Newman's line, Tell the World My Story, echoes Hamlet's dying words to his friend Horatio. So a bit of uh, high culture in Seinfeld, <laughs> if you want to read for it. Uh, more homage... Uh, include the scene where Henry Atkins intimidates Kramer. Some have say it's a parody of the scene in Absence of Malice, where Wilford Brimley plays an assistant U.S. attorney general threatening a room full of lawyers and subordinates using similar statements. And others say it uh, also kind of parodies a scene from Network. What scene, I I don't know, because I've never seen either movie. But uh, (laughs) some more references that you may or may not get. Newman pulls alongside Kramer. Here's another one. Newman pulls alongside Kramer and tells him, this is the way it'll happen. Someone you trust will ask you to get in the car with them. And that scenario is a parody of Max von Sydow's final scene in Three Days of the Condor from 1975. So another (laughs) classic movie homage. (laughs) Uh, And finally, this episode marks the first time anyone in the Seinfeld universe mentions the word email wow yeah oh my god okay (laughs) they made it all the way to 97 before they were like all right i guess it's not going away we've already heard internet but but not email so there we go that is it i've actually got a little bit of seinfeld news here what happened seinfeld has signed a deal with a new exclusive linear cable channel Right, I did see that. Yes. Yeah. Okay, well then go on. Do you know any more about the, the deals? Well, it's going to be exclusive to Comedy Central, uh, the entire 180 episode library. I'm guessing when they say linear, it's going to air in order on Comedy Central, where it's going to debut on Netflix October 1st. Uh, it'll hit Comedy Central October 11th, Monday, October 11th. Uh-huh. Um, they released a video on Comedy Central's YouTube page of Jerry like back in his apartment announcing the deal and he said like which is interesting i think he says he always deemed his one bedroom apartment to itself be comedy central which uh, i i thought this was great because i don't think it's been on his fridge in a long long time 
but the early episodes, he had that Comedy Central magnet. Oh, yeah. That's right. It was like the old logo. Yeah, it might have even said Comedy Channel or something like that. I, I think so, yeah. It was like the, the planet like with the skyscrapers, yeah. and I think it said Comedy Channel. Yeah, yeah, totally. God. I totally forgot about that. <laughs> but yeah, um, and so it's moving from TBS, in other words. TBS had the deal, and then, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so it's moving to Comedy Central. And I guess, you know, it'll still be able to pop up on network TV and syndication. I think those deals oh, are separate. Yeah. At least it was from the TBS deal, you know? But yeah. I think what yeah, linear, those, I those think, deals are separate because they're not they're not nationwide. From what I'm gathering, because I'd never heard the term before, I think linear just means not streaming. Mm, okay. Yeah. I guess so that like, that totally makes sense. He signed streaming rights and he signed linear rights. I think the model of traditional linear television programming is for a schedule of shows to be selected by the broadcaster and then viewed at a set time. Non-linear okay. is anything else like streaming or whatever. It's like on demand or whatever. Oh, yeah, whenever okay. you decide what you want to watch when you want to watch it. So yeah, there you go. That makes sense. I never heard that term before, but uh, I guess yeah, it's a brand it, um, new world. Makes sense when you when you define it, obviously. Yeah. But the term in the realm of are the episodes going to be airing in order yeah. of the series is kind of confusing. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, they probably, I, I guess they're going to run them in order. That's what they do with The Office, pretty much. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure, like, they'll have, like, whatever The Simpsons world before it hit Disney yeah. had for The Simpsons. Like, they have, like, a bunch of playlists and, like, here's all of, like, our travel episodes and here's all of our, like, food episodes and oh, shit like that. Yeah, they'll, yeah. They'll have, they'll have weekends and stuff. Right. And they'll have, like, it's a, it's a Comedy Central sponge-worthy weekend. Yeah, yeah. And it'll be only the ones where Elaine has a, a new boyfriend or something or, yeah, because even, yeah. even FXX still does that. They're like, it's a Lisa block or whatever, you know, all the Lisa episodes and, and stuff like that. It'll be interesting to see if Netflix does something like that with the streaming thing like making playlists and stuff i hope they do because hulu did and that was so awesome like they had like the hulu top 10 they had uh best of vista del boca uh, and um and and stuff like that yeah but even if they didn't do that even if they don't make any playlists there's one feature that and netflix is definitely like experimented with new features once in a while make a random episode button yeah, that would be cool. That's what I that's what I love about when The Office is on or when Seinfeld is on randomly or when The Simpsons is on is like I it's just too much to choose, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And don't make it like I hate on the the main menu screen now they're like play something random. It's like I don't want something that random. <laughs> I want something yeah, very like, specific. I, I don't want to start random. a random new series. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I know if I hit that like they're going to start Outer Banks and I'm going to go no. That's too... You know that's not in my algorithm. You know it's not. Okay? Yeah. So, like, they, they should have... I don't know why they haven't gotten that down to every distinct show. It's like, play a random episode. I, at least I don't think they have. Oh, my gosh. Okay, any other news or anything? Uh, not that it has to do with Seinfeld, but uh, I just don't... Um, Norm MacDonald died, and that sucks. Yeah. That, yeah. Cause I'm literally sitting on the couch watching the episode for us to talk about today as we're recording this um uh tuesday this past tuesday as you're listening to this and yeah that that's awful i i I never watched much of his stuff um just because i i think his his best stuff was already like behind like me getting into comedy of that degree you know yeah yeah but i had no idea he was 61 yeah and uh, it w- had been battling cancer for nine years, which is yeah. He yeah. he chadwicked us. He, yes, he, he did. didn't want he didn't want anyone to know that he was sick. Wild, and, and he didn't. You know, anytime he appeared, it's like 
I guess the same with Chadwick. I mean, people can talk about like, oh, he looked like he was thinner or whatever, but Norm Macdonald just never looked like he was battling cancer. It's, it's wild. Yeah. But, uh, I, I mean, uh, then again, I don't know when the last public appearance he had was. Yeah. I feel like I'd seen him recently, but he was just always one of those guys that was on every single late night talk show and would just kill, especially him and Conan. I loved him and Conan together. Him and Conan or him and Dave were, were always uh, were always funny. Maybe it's just because those two are guys are my favorite late night guys, but um, just, you know, his deadpan, you know, just <laughs> fa- like his whole bit was just like failing and making it funny, but the jokes were funny too. It's yeah. like, you didn't know what was funnier, the failure or the jokes. So yeah, uh, Norm Macdonald will be uh, definitely a missing voice in comedy for show, but has nothing really to do with Seinfeld except for that episode of the show that's not Seinfeld that he did. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> uh, the only other thing I have like for, for Seinfeld news, we kind of touched on this with uh, getting Seinfeld tattoos whenever our uh, listenership quadruples, starting with me, and then quintuples yep. after that, continuing with you. But Kat, who listens to the show pointed out she had found a Seinfeld flash sheet and I have seen Ah. this flash sheet many many times I've actually had this tab open on my tablet for about a Hmm. year because I've wanted to buy it it's only 10 bucks but I just ran out of room in my in my Mm. office and now that we're moving I I don't want to buy anything new you know because we're gonna be renting an apartment I can't really put things on the walls yeah Um, but if you want to check this flash sheet out I will put a link to this in the description. It is by KWT Designs. The site is kwtdesigns.com. This thing's incredible. There is it, there's even references on here that I haven't seen yet, but there is ah. a black a black and white cookie, a marble rye on a fishing pole, there <laughs> is the Technicolor dream coat, there's the coffee table book, Ooh. there's a cross fork and knife with a Snickers bar. There's uh, the George pose on the couch, uh. the flaming mail truck, uh, a shrimp <sighs> a f- a Festivus pole, a box of Junior Mints, a puffy shirt, a clown, Tropic of Cancer. It, It's ridiculous. A Festivus pole uh, would be cool, now that I'm thinking of that. It would be a very basic tattoo that is not, like, screaming Seinfeld at yeah. the person who's looking at it. So that, that would be kind of cool. It's not, like, it's not a license plate that says, Ass Man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, like the, I like the idea of that. Very unassuming. And, you know, once you told people, like, oh, yeah, I have a Festivus pole tattoo. Like, no, no <laughs> one would don't. do that. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, well, I, I don't have anything else for news. Uh, if you've never listened to us before, we are not a research-heavy show, despite the last 44 Yeesh. minutes being exclusively uh, research and homework. Uh, that is pre-edit, though. We like to have our questions pop up naturally in the run of the episodes and assign them to ourselves the week following as though we are giving ourselves homework. I've never seen these episodes before. Tim has never seen these episodes in chronological order after being a lifelong fan for years. If we miss anything, if we egregiously skip over something, please send us an email or send us a tweet at nohugging on Twitter or nohuggingnolearningshow at gmail.com. Both of those links are in the description or on the show description page on Apple Podcasts. If you like what you hear, you can always support the podcast because we are now on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash nohugging. That link is down in the description. We've got a couple of tiers. $5 and up gets you access to content, including our review that was just posted a few days ago of Space Jam starring Wayne Knight. No, Yeah, that's the name, right? Mm-hmm. Wayne. Okay. I almost said Wayne Newman. I'm like, that doesn't Wayne feel Newman. right. <laughs> Wayne Newman. <laughs> God. If you would also like to support the show, but uh, you would not like to give us any money, 
that's fine. Um, other other than the fact that we hate you, um, <laughs> but you can give us a five star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice, and we will send you a free no hugging no learning sticker. Uh, a free no hugging no learning sticker, free of charge. Um, we just need your mailing address to get that to you. All that being said, Season 9, Episode 6, The Merv Griffin Show. Original air date, November 6, 1997. I was four years, ten months, and 17 days old, creeping up quick on my fifth birthday. Woo. Um, if you're counting this episode and every other episode we've got left, we have 17 episodes until we become a... Hmm. I wish we could do something like visit every Nobody Beats the Wiz in the country, but they're all gone, of course, so <laughs> that won't work. Um, there, there's got to still be like some abandoned nobody beats the whiz buildings that no one has that nothing has ever gone into, right? Yeah, maybe we can be like an urban exploring nobody beats the whiz. We'll just whatever is there, we'll explore it. We'll go to uh, every location, all what was it, ninety four, <laughs> all ninety four locations of nobody beats the whiz. And the good thing is they're kind of clustered in the same area, so you know mm. the travel is not going to be as tough on us as some of our That's other true. travel podcasts that we're planning. Yeah, it's not going to be a global travel show. Yeah. Like, like, uh, lunch like, um, yeah, like Lunch Club or the Viewfinder podcast. Yeah. So, (laughs) yeah, whatever's there, maybe it'll still be open. Maybe it'll just be a Rite Aid or something. We'll just go walk around and review that Rite Aid, but it used to be (laughs) a Nobody Beats the Wiz. This is going to be great. I, I'm all. I'm always looking forward to to what's next. <laughs> You're always looking forward to something that isn't this show. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> uh, if you're looking at TV Guy the night of November 6, 1997, you are going to see, as Kramer puts a discarded talk show set in his apartment, Jerry schemes to play with a girlfriend's vintage toys, period. Elaine deals with a scheming employee. Okay. This will be a very interesting discussion, I have a feeling. Uh, so we start with a cold open. We're on the street, and Jerry and Kramer are walking, and they're discussing their relationship as Cain and Abel, which is what Kramer says they're like. Come on, we're like Cain and Abel. We can borrow stuff from each other. And Jerry says that, you know, Cain killed Abel, and then they try to, you know, they each sort of re- recount what they think the Cain and Abel story from the Bible <laughs> is, with Jerry thinking it's kind of like the grasshopper and the ant, where Abel collected a lot of food for the winter and... Cain didn't, and so Cain killed Abel. But Kramer thinks it was more like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde type thing where Cain turned into Abel or vice versa. I don't remember. <laughs> what an incredible metaphor for modern day American Christians. Just yeah. picking picking out the small details you know about the Bible, whether they apply or not, and tailoring them to what you already believe. Yeah. And and yeah, and and tailoring them to whatever pop culture uh, you know, depiction you remember of them like no yeah, i'm pretty yeah. sure it was like this like no that's an aesop's fable you know it's like... <laughs> but i'm gonna write down Cain and abel because just like jerry and kramer i vaguely remember i know that one slew the other i don't i are they like adam's sons or something like that i think they're adam they... and presumably eve's sons i i think they are their sons i'm not sure if their parents are ever explicitly stated yeah. They've got to be, but yeah, I don't know if it's their sons or if it's just like down the lineage a little bit. Yeah, because those those early days of what had to have been incest, you know, were kind of glossed over, I think, you know, or they're yeah. not really ta- they're not really talked about in um in company in good company, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we'll we'll do a little dive on Cain and Abel 
next week. And the what it comes down to is that Kramer broke Jerry's blender trying to make gravel. And that's uh, the beginning of the episode. We open on the same street in the episode proper with some rare continuity between the cold open and the... Well, not so <laughs> yeah. rare, I guess, because some episodes it, it actually has to do with the plot. This has nothing to do with the plot, but Jerry does ask him, why are we making gravel anyway? Yeah, it was, it was real weird because they were still on the street. It's just the camera was inverted yeah you know like, like they were walking too. to the left and then they were walking to the right yeah that seemed to be breaking some sort of rule of camera work yeah yeah you're right it does <laughs> and, and and i think because of that they could have left it out like oh this is a new scene because they're walking a different way and they don't have to why did he have to ask him why he was making gravel it's just funny that why didn't you go get some gravel why didn't you go get some small rocks why were you trying to break big rocks in a blender, you know? <laughs> Just one of those Kramer things. He, If you don't remember or you didn't watch the episode, it's because he likes the way it sounds when you walk on it. And then Kramer comes up on a dumpster where he discovers the set from the old Merv Griffin show. And Jerry, the germaphobe that he is, is pleading with Kramer to remove himself from the dumpster and stop playing with trash. But Kramer, this was my first big... Le- We're like, I don't know. 30 seconds in, and this was my first big laugh of the whole thing, where he's like, look, Jerry, Merv Griffin's cigar. <laughs> he just pulls a wet stogie out of the bottom of the dumpster <laughs> and immediately attributes it to be- belonging to Merv Griffin. <laughs> look, Merv Griffin's cigar. <laughs> Do you know who Merv Griffin is? Or I have no idea. I have maybe an iota of an idea more than you, but I think he was a. I think he invented a bunch of game shows, honestly. I don't know why. Wasn't it like a Merv Griffin production? Like Jeopardy is a Merv Griffin production or whatever. Like I or something is that, like that. him? Yeah, but then I guess wow, he must have okay. also had. I think I, I might be. Yeah, yeah, I might be totally wrong now. I definitely don't remember the talk show, but we'll do a Merv Griffin slash show dive uh, next week. Uh, obviously, to try to figure out uh, exactly who this guy was and what the deal with the show was. Over in George's car, he is driving with presumably a new girlfriend, and he is driving right for some pigeons saying that they'll move, but they don't. And he runs over them in a flurry of feathers. (laughs) Over in, presumably, Jerry's girlfriend's apartment. Jerry's got a new girl, and it is full of vintage toys that she inherited after her dad died. And she starts about to, she's about to get into it, where she's like, you know, it was a long and and awful bout with, and Jerry yells, Super Bowl! Uh, Not wanting to hear anything about that. And he wants to play with all the toys, but she says no and starts kissing Jerry, but he opens his eyes and can't stop looking at the wall of vintage toys. I, um, at this point, I already knew where this story was going to go. Yeah. uh, Because you had made mention of like, yeah, Jerry does (laughs) something in this episode. And I'm like, oh, okay, there we go. Um, but... I did like his story of Joseph Garnish, the first guy who oh. um, who, who topped an entree with uh, parsley. Yeah, yeah. Who, and, yeah <laughs> or whatever he, he said it was. He, yeah. That's, he's like, he put the parsley on the side of the plate. And she's like, there was no one named Joseph Garnish. <laughs> um, which, I mean, it, it is funny, but it just goes to show you how painful a date with jerry seinfeld must be jerry seinfeld maybe just in the show like him constantly riffing on like he was probably talking about garnish from their all their walk through from the restaurant to her apartment you know what i mean like probably just doing the same thing yeah joseph garnish you put it on the plate and because at the end of the meal there was probably garnish and he like invented some dumb joke and and she has to like humor him because the relationship's new you know (laughs) oh man but yeah so this is the intro to very much her like 
not consenting to him playing with her toys and the whole this is the whole bit right here yeah and it was even shocking to me how clear it is what the quote-unquote joke is about this episode because even right here she's like i said no you know like very stern like an after school special kind of thing you know like no means no jerry it's very forward yeah and and very very obvious so over in the J. Peterman office break room, Elaine is making coffee, and she is startled by Lou Feilerman, who says he's new here. And I really wish we could have gotten a second take on that spill out of her mug. Did you notice how awful and deliberate it seemed? Yeah, I did. She, like, sticks her arm up in a way that no one sticks their arm up, and she, like, has to move her coffee cup over to it and literally pour. I'm like, uh, can we- Let's just get another take. Don't we have another? Like, she barely even made a mark. It, it's like, it was almost like um, the coffee just sort of dripped off whatever that thing she was wearing was. You don't even see the stain. I'm like, we can do a second take, and she can make that look a lot better, you know? Uh, but she yeah. did, but they didn't. It looked awful. Bad stunt. I loved all Lou. Uh, was it Fillerman or Filerman? I heard Filerman. Okay. Uh, all, all, I wrote two L's, but I, I uh, wasn't, I couldn't remember. Yeah. Um, all he said was, I'm Lou Feilerman. I'm new here. And then new some other guy comes in, and Elaine's like, hey, Jude, what's with the new guy? Oh, that's Lou Feilerman. He's new here. <laughs> yeah, I did love I, that. I wish we could get introductions of every new character exactly like this. They As soon as they pop in, they say their name, and they uh. say their, and they say their like, uh, th- their mission statement, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. I'm Lou Feilerman. I'm new here. <laughs> I'm Jerry's new girlfriend. I don't want him to play with my toys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I wrote down that Lou Feilerman is doing Jim Carrey face. Did you notice that? Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was the funniest face whenever Ace Ventura and Ace Ventura 2 came out. I probably made that face a ton when I was in middle slash high school. So I just thought it was funny. You know, it's like your your lower lip is pulled in and you got a goofy smile on your face and your your top teeth are showing over it. And it's like, well, alrighty then. You know, just just say that and you have to make that face. And that's the face that Lou Feilerman is making through this whole thing. That face was hot in the 90s, let me tell you. <laughs> and Walter, the guy that came in and told Elaine Lou Feilerman's deal that he's new here, um, n- references that the stain on her jacket looks like Fidel Castro. Over at Monk's, we find out George's girlfriend's name is Miranda. And she's upset with George over the pigeon slaughter from earlier. And... He says, don't we have a deal with the pigeons? And Jerry agrees. He's like, yeah, they get out of the way of our cars, and we look the other way on the statue defecation. And now George yeah. is... Uh, <laughs> now George is... Um, it's funny, like, that was obviously a joke, but George takes it seriously through the whole thing, you know? <laughs> but now uh, George is getting nothing from Miranda, and Jerry says he's getting nothing, too, from Celia. So we got her name already. And George is like, wait, I thought you guys were sleeping together. And he's like, oh, the sex is wild, but she won't let him play with the toys. (laughs) Meanwhile, Elaine enters, and I knew as soon as Walt mentioned the stain looked like Castro, I knew it was going to come back up. And George for sure mentions, hey, is that Art Garfunkel? And she turns it the other way and goes, no, it's Castro. So ha, ha, ha. And Uh. (laughs) Elaine tells Jerry and George about this guy uh, who Jerry brands a sidler. He sidles up uh, silently. And here we go. Our, our our bit that they were like, this is what everyone's going to be talking about tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the sidler. Yes, he's a sidler. He sidles. And she he even sidled up on Elaine and caught her singing Hakuna Matata, which Jerry obviously hates. 
<laughs> I, I did think this was funny because uh, okay, she says that song from the Lion King. Jerry uh, says Hakuna Matata, and Elaine's like, I thought I was alone. But he says, that doesn't make it right. That doesn't make it right. <laughs> yeah, and I guess uh, Lion King Fever, even, the, even though it came out in, wasn't it 94? Yeah, 94, uh, was still hot in, in 97. Or at least Hakuna Matata was still annoying. Yeah, well, maybe um, had Lion King on Broadway premiered yet? Because... Uh. That's been going for a long time. Yeah, I wonder. It seems like three years is certainly enough time to get that off the ground. Based on 94, yes, we know. Okay, so it was in... Yeah, it opened on Broadway in 97. How about that? Holy shit. Hitting it out of the fucking ballpark today. (laughs) So it was a Broadway joke. Grand slam for Ted. Hell yeah. Get this though, Ted. It opened literally a week after this episode aired. Holy shit. Yeah. Now, so I'm, now I'm thinking it was like a covert advertisement. <laughs> well, it was in, yeah, it might have been. It was in previews from October. Because so, they have had time to write. It, 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 no, it, it's probably not that like it was open yet and, and Elaine had gone to see it. Yeah, but I'm sure right. like there's posters everywhere in New York. Yes. Lion yeah. King opening on Broadway, you know. And, and obviously it was this huge movie just three years ago. I mean... What's a movie from 2018 that could be huge on Broadway? Fucking Endgame? Right. <laughs> yes, End, yeah. Endgame, Endgame on Broadway? Everyone well, starts saying, like, Avengers Assemble Again, you know? Well, they are making Rogers the musical. Not really, I but did you see that. the Hawkeye trailer? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, okay. That wasn't real. Okay. Yeah, no, no. It's in the Hawkeye trailer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. I only saw a meme of it. I was like, is this real? <laughs> But, you know, it kind of like they're making a musical about something that conceivably actually happened in real life three years ago in that universe. So, <laughs> I mean, it kind of holds up. But so it, it did debut. So they tested it out in Minneapolis in July of 97. So you're right. The fervor for it opening up at the New Amsterdam Theater on Broadway was probably, yeah, at a fever pitch at this point. It, it so was, yeah, it was, yeah, it was at its peak. Yeah, yeah. So I, 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 they could have definitely over the summer written like, oh, man. This uh, this Broadway musical obviously is going to be huge. Get out your Lion King jokes about how Akuna Matata. Sucks. I like how you, I like how you incidentally continued my baseball metaphor of me saying that it was a grand slam of me getting ninety seven on the dot, and by you yeah. saying it was a fever pitch, which was the movie with Jimmy Fallon <laughs> and Drew Barrymore, I believe, who fall That's in love right. by going to Boston Red Sox games. They do, and it's actually based on a Nick Hornby book that is about soccer, not baseball. But luckily, both <laughs> soccer soccer is paid soccer is played on a pitch, and baseball uses pitches. But where does the um where do, what's the origin of that phrase fever pitch? Uh, you know, I'll just look this up in my own time. Yeah, we're we're barely into the episode, and we're over an hour now. I think <laughs> I know, we should probably get going. <laughs> You're right, but I am curious. So, uh, up in the apartment, oh, Elaine makes an inadvertent Disney joke that has only gotten better with age because Jerry is still talking about how Akuna Matata sucks, and Elaine goes, let it go. Ha. Whoa. <laughs> Motherfucker. How did they know? <laughs> wow. And Jeez. they hear something coming from Kramer's apartment, and he has installed the Merv Griffin Show set in his apartment and rebuilt it in its entirety, probably exactly like it looked uh, back in the day. And Cr- Jerry goes, where are you going to sleep? And Kramer goes, oh, backstage. <laughs> and Kramer sits down. And he starts acting like a host. Like when Jerry walks out, he's like, 
all right, well, we'd love to have you back anytime. And then he sits down with Elaine and starts saying, like, is it possible you're better looking than the last time we met or something like that? And uh, so he starts acting like a host right away. Before we leave this scene, I want to point out Jerry leaves the, the set because his phone is ringing. Yeah. And I want to point out how loud his phone had to be <laughs> ringing because he hears it perfectly over in Kramer's apartment when he had not opened his own door yet. Yeah, his door's not open, and his phone, we know, is on the other side of his room near his computer. So yeah. it's, oh it's my as far God, away right. as it can get. Holy shit. Oh, yeah. my God. Why, why did he turn the ringer up when he left? <laughs> yeah, maybe it's just always up at that volume, <laughs> just to annoy literally everybody within the <laughs> radius of his apartment. <laughs> they could probably hear it down on the street. Hey, Seinfeld's phone's ringing. Over in the park, George is walking through and he sees uh, someone jogging and all the pigeons move for the jogger. And so George tries that and he ends up trampling some pigeons in front of uh, a woman and her son. And he yells, we had a deal at the pigeons. <laughs> I, I can't imagine a more madman like thing to yell yourself <laughs> in the park after you had just murdered pigeons. Yeah, just trampled pigeons. We had a deal. Uh, up in Jay Peterman's office Elaine turns in a big project that was a rush job and Jay Peterman loves it and Lou has sidled in behind her silently and he gets some of the credit for the project much to Elaine's dismay over in Kramer's apartment Jerry is being interviewed by Kramer about the toy situation and uh, wanted to play with these toys Elaine comes in and Jerry is like bumped chairs like you would be on a talk show where he's like all right move move down move down we're talking to elaine now <laughs> and elaine's plan is to sidle the sidler uh by buying some wrestling shoes which i guess make you walk a little quieter i don't know i've never worn uh, yeah, wrestling no shoes idea. i don't know why don't that would know. help and and i'm the wrestling fan i don't know <laughs> uh, and kramer keeps delivering these one-liners like i forget what they are in this scene just typical hacky <laughs> well, host laugh lines the the first one was when he was talking with Jerry uh, because he's like, now, I, I believe you told me you never had a G.I. Joe whenever you were a kid, right? And Jerry says, no, I had an army Pete. He was made of wood and swelled up and split when it rained. And Kramer said, and we all know how painful that can be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just just <laughs> random stuff like that. But uh, Elaine's was whenever she had the wrestling shoes and he just goes, only in New York. Oh, yeah, yeah, only in the, yeah. It really is like DJ Bot 5000, you know, like those level of lines. Like, what about those clowns in Congress? What a bunch of clowns. <laughs> like very, very, t phrases you can say after literally anyone says anything. Uh, George comes in and Kramer starts playing some music off a cassette tape for him. Um, and everyone. In including it saying, turn music off at the yeah. end. Which, why do you need that? Why do you need turn music off? I don't know, you know? but it made me crack up. Yeah. That means he has to like rewind it every time a certain amount. <laughs> uh, everyone moves chairs again. And George is upset about the pigeons ignoring him. And Jerry mentions, uh, you know, like, well, these pigeons have just started ignoring me. And Jerry says something like, oh, you know, like everyone else. And Kramer cracks up and goes, we'll take a short break, <laughs> which I love. I do that mainly because it's like a hacky morning radio thing to go like to go out on a laugh line. You know, it's like and so anytime there's a like, huge laugh and I'm in a group of people, I'll like do a time check and say, we'll be right back. Like, you know, so there's a huge laugh. It's like it's 715. We'll be right back. Oh, um, God. Yeah. But and so everyone just kind of stares while Kramer eats some chips and drinks some soda. And then he goes, we're back. <laughs> yeah, it was literally uh, like one chip and a sip of Cola brand Cola. <laughs> yeah. 
But I did love that he knew to go out on a laugh line <laughs> like Jerry. Oh, you, so they're just like everyone else. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> we'll take a short break. <laughs> Over in uh, George's car, he swerves to miss a pigeon. He's driving with Miranda, but she's like, forget the pigeons. You just hit that squirrel. And then George is like, well, we've got no deal with them. I um, She actually said like there was no pigeon. And I was really hoping that it played into George was now hallucinating pigeons. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's but just it, seeing it, them it everywhere. That, that, that didn't pan out. <laughs> yeah. She does say, like, what pigeon or something like that. And so it looks yeah. like George just swerved to hit a squirrel and not to yeah. hit pigeons. <laughs> uh, up at Celia's, they are watching TV, but Jerry is making a move, but not on her. He's making a move on the toys and uh, playing with them and Celia, you know, again, she's like, oh, those hands, they just won't stop. <laughs> and doesn't he doesn't he grab like one of the army guys and he's just like uh, pretending to fight the other one and he's just going pow, 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 pow. Yeah. <laughs> and Celia's like, oh, I have a headache. Can you give me an aspirin? And Jerry goes in and he grabs a, a PM headache medicine, which may cause drowsiness. And now he's got an idea. Mm. Yes. Over at Jay Peterman's, Elaine sidles in as Lou turns in his big rush project uh, and gets some credit for that. But Jay Peterman hates Lou's work. And he's like, you know what? This is an, a, a, we need to re, this is a complete redo. And I love that he says, I assume I need it right away. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I assume I'll need it right away. Uh, a great clueless boss line. But at that point, Lou has sidled out, leaving Elaine to do all the work. He's an expert sidler. Uh, over at Celia's, she is passed out, and Jerry is playing with her toys. Over at the downtown veterinary clinic, which is still at 244 Ninth Avenue. Uh, I was going to say, this was a perfect exterior shot for you, because, like... You even see the Ninth Avenue sign. Yeah, Ninth Avenue. They have the same phone number. They haven't changed their oh. phone number in all these years. Wow, That's but great. This is not the two forty four Ninth Avenue location. They moved like down the block. This location was at one forty eight Ninth Avenue. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it is also in the Andrea Doria season eight episode ten. It's where Kramer took the dog Smuckers with the cough to get medicine oh my god yes. wow which has been reborn in memes about ivermectin like kramer going to see a vet has been uh <laughs> you know varying scenes about him explaining you know why he's going to a vet have been reborn in people taking horse medicine which uh, I-, I have loved seeing those uh so if you want more of a, d- a dive on the downtown veterinary clinic i might have done more in season eight episode 10 but uh this is where george and miranda took the squirrel and it's going to be very costly as the doctor says to save the squirrel because they need to uh they need really tiny instruments they need to special order or they can just put him to sleep. It's by the pound. So that'd be about 80 cents. And George is all about that deal. Uh, but Miranda, of course, is all about saving the squirrel with the pricey procedure. Over in Kramer's apartment, Jerry and George are there. They're the guests. Like, so Jerry and George are still, you know, uh, are like guests on the talk show. And Kramer is still spouting one-liners like George saying that they have to get the, the I do remember this one, get the special utensils from El Paso. And Kramer goes, oh, El Paso, I spent a month there one night. And Newman, who's sitting next to him, cracks up at that line. <laughs> Newman laughs his ass off at Oh, that. yeah, yeah. And Jerry talks about drugging Celia, at which point Kramer panics and takes a break and tells him to clean it up. I don't care what you do in your personal life, but when you're on my show, you know, we don't talk about stuff like that. <laughs> 
and Newman's like, I told you this guy was a risk. And Kramer and New- or Newman and Jerry get into it, saying that, um, oh, like he's not carrying you, like he has been for years. <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder if this was about a specific sidekick or or something. It oh just seemed, man, I don't yeah. know. It seemed it did seem very specific. It seemed directed. Yeah, I just I just don't know who uh, at maybe maybe Merv Griffin had a sidekick that we'll learn about that was being carried for years. <laughs> Over at Jay Peterman's offices, Elaine gives Lou some Tic Tacs, which make a shaking sound, so now he can't sidle up on her. Which, it, I wish it was explained more, whether it was, I guess it just seems like accidental sidling, but the fact that he was, like, getting credit and then leaving when there was more work to do seemed deliberate, but it never, it, it's never explained that way, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, whenever he's in Elaine's office, I, I don't know if he's in Elaine's office here or if that's later, he sidles up behind her desk in, instead of just like coming yeah. to like the front of her desk to talk to her, you know, like he like Elaine yeah. turns around and and Lou is not there because he is behind her now. Yeah, he's moved. So maybe it's just a weird quirk he has that ends up working out for him and getting him like raises and promotions and and credit for stuff that he didn't do and getting himself out of work. But maybe it's, it, it doesn't seem deliberate because he does carry around the Tic Tacs. They shake, and so he can't mm-hmm. sneak up anymore. And he does have, you know, Jim Carrey face, so he looks like a dumb guy. He doesn't look like a guy that might uh, conspire to do something like that. Over at Celia's, George and Jerry are loading Celia up with turkey and wine and heavy <laughs> gravy, and they plan to watch some of George's home movies later. Uh, cut to George and Jerry now playing with all of the toys. I loved uh, Celia saying, hey, is, doesn't turkey have that thing that makes you really sleepy and they both just yell out tryptophan yeah yeah or or so i think (laughs) yeah and then they have to play off that they both knew exactly what it was (laughs) and this is where the sexual assault metaphor gets really dicey for me maybe it was the turning point because i had already starred the episode because i got so many good laughs about the setup for all these premises Mm -hmm. and now it's like all right if you wanted it to be like oh jerry you know, like the toys are a metaphor for sex and like Jerry wanted to play, quote unquote, play with them. So he had to drug her and make her go to sleep so he could, you know, violate her consent. But then you invite your friend to do it. I'm like, oh, man, this metaphor just got like really messy. And I know it's just a metaphor, but it's still like it's got to be consistent, you know, (laughs) it's got to be consistently good, I guess, or 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 have its heart in a, a place that's not inviting your friends to violate your girlfriend's consent <laughs> you know oh boy yeah i mean serious kavanaugh vibes from this whole episode starting oof, now oof, oof. over in kramer's apartment kramer and newman have bottomed out newman's talking about some <laughs> off-brand wax beads I, that he bought <laughs> i love this i love this because he's just talking like in his his uh his sidekick chair he's like I actually started buying the generic wax yeah. beans. I take the label off. I can hardly tell the difference. <laughs> yeah. And Kramer's just infinitely bored, as it seemed like Newman was, too, in the middle of the story. Like, this is not a good story, but I, you know, I'm in it now. And Kramer's like, you know what? We need a new format. We're going to go off the air and we're going to retool. And he unplugs <laughs> the entire set, which cuts off all the lights in his apartment. And I love that they just sat there and stared for like yeah. a few seconds. <laughs> like, before <laughs> Newman goes, what about a guest host? And Kramer goes... I'll pretend I didn't hear that, which wasn't as, I, it was a good button on the scene, but it wasn't as good a gag as them just sitting in the dark by themselves staring. Yeah. I, I like that. Back over at the vet, the tiny instruments arrived just in time and the squirrel's going to be okay. And the vet's like, do you want to visit with him? And George, of course, is like, 
about to say no, but Miranda's like, yes, he would. And as he's escorted into the room, the doctor goes, you have 30 minutes, which I <laughs> lost it at. I thought that was so funny because George is like, what am I? What, you have 30 what minutes. Need, what do I need 30 minutes for? Yeah, I love there's like visiting hours for the like, well, we don't want to, you know, you have 30 minutes. And but the doctor comes right back in and says we're discharging him. <laughs> we think he'll do better recuperating at home. And George is going to have to give him medicine six times a day and keep his tail elevated. God. Medicine six times a day to a squirrel. Over at Monk's, Jerry and George are discussing the squirrel situation when Kramer comes in and he kind of books Jerry on his new show. I want you to drop by tomorrow uh, and check out the new show. We have Jim Fowler, who is an animal expert, apparently, who hosted uh, a show that I forget Jerry mentions. Like, Um, he's surprised you got Jim Fowler. He says, uh, the animal guy from Wild Kingdom? Yeah, there you go. I'm going to write down Jim Fowler. We might not have to do as as big a dive on him, but I wasn't... This is my only reference point for Jim Fowler is this episode, to tell you the truth. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, I have have no idea. Had you heard of him or... or... I I have not, but I mean, as soon as Jerry said the animal guy from Wild Kingdom, I knew exactly what to expect. It was guy in khaki short sleeve shirt khaki <laughs> shorts either holding a hawk or holding like some reptile and yeah. i wasn't disappointed you did it yeah that's exactly and that's another great hacky late night thing to have on your show is like all right oh it's gonna bring some animals by and oh one of them's gonna crawl on the host's head it's gonna be funny you know um <laughs> And George is like, hey, oh, I got this squirrel. I know Jim Fowler would take this squirrel, and he wants to get the squirrel to him. But Kramer, you know, says that, you know, George can't come by. Elaine sidles in, and she is offended by Jerry and George. Finally, we may get a voice of reason here, uh, drugging Celia to play with the toys and bringing George over. She's like, you brought him? Until she hears about the Easy Bake Oven. Cut to Celia passed out over another turkey and wine dinner with all three now playing with all of the vintage toys. And some home movies are still playing on the TV. And one of them includes George being changed when he's seven and a half. Which I... while, while Frank is giving a tour of a rest stop. Yeah. And, and uh, he's being yelled at by his parents. I feel like this home movie is like the only thing you'd need to show a therapist for them to completely diagnose George <laughs> with. Like, okay, you were still in diapers in 79. Or, or you were still in diapers when you were seven and a half. And your parents incessantly screamed at you. I feel like we can just, you know, um, save a lot of time here and get this done in an hour and, and fix you somehow. Over at Jay Peterman, Elaine is shaking Tic Tacs when Jay Peterman himself barges into her office because he has been tormented by that noise. It reminds him of the Haitian voodoo rattle, uh, <laughs> Haitian voodoo rattle torture, I mean. Uh, and he, Elaine says it's, you know, not her that's been doing it in all the places that he's heard it, like the men's room, but he doesn't care because one more rattle and she is out. And by the way, and he mentioned when he mentioned the voodoo torture, you haven't joined them, have you? But as he leaves, he says, and if you are undead, I'll find out about that too. <laughs> Elaine runs through the halls looking for Lou, and she can't convince him to use anything to freshen his breath except Mickey Mouse gumballs that came in the Mickey Mouse gumball machine, but they stopped making that a long time ago. But Elaine says she has good news for you and calls him Stinky, which I thought was yeah, funny. Yeah, she's like, well, Stinky, this is your lucky day, which, I mean, we call Bosco Stinky all the time. Ah. So that's uh, that's something I'm going to be saying to him from <laughs> now on. Well, Stinky, the like time. A, yeah, anytime you feed him. Well, Stinky, today's your lucky day. Yeah, um, exactly. I think it's weird that couldn't she have just backtracked and went, you know what? It was my own breath I was smelling. You don't need your breath is fine all the time. Like gone all the way back to the lie. Not that his breath was bad, but just 
Yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, I know it would have, and it's not even that great of a button on the whole storyline now that I'm thinking about it, but yeah, I think I think she could have backtracked a little bit more rather than sticking with that because the gumballs aren't going to make any noise in his pocket. That so it's just going to defeat the purpose of the whole thing. Uh, yeah. Over at over at Kramer's, Jim Fowler is there with a hawk, and I love his. Well, where are the cameras? <laughs> <laughs> Played so well. If this is in fact the real Jim Fowler, which I'm only assuming it is, um, Kramer gets Jerry to recant uh, or recount rather. Uh, about drugging Celia to play with her toys and how about how he's even done it a couple times since he told Kramer about it the first time. And Kramer brings Celia out and tells Jerry it's their new format, Scandals and Animals. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I wish there was a show called Scandals and Animals. Oh, it'd be the highest rated show on the CW. Yeah, or, or that's a court TV show right there, I think. That's a great yeah. court TV show, Scandals and yeah. Animals. So, so Celia comes out and she's upset Here's maybe the worst line of the whole episode. What kind of woman drinks an entire box of wine? A.K.A. you deserved it. Yeah. Being inebriated uh. in- implies consent. Good uh. lord. <laughs> and I again, I know people are like are screaming snowflake. I'm sure we're losing listeners thanks to this episode. But come on. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> I'm sure we'll have someone leave a leave a one star review for saying like that's the joke. I'm like explain yeah. explicitly how that is a yeah. joke. A joke requires something to be funny. I'm not sure if you know that or not. Yeah, like what do you like? No, he was playing with her toys. He wasn't doing the other thing. It's like yeah, but what do you think it's a metaphor for? What do you think all those jokes about his hands and all that stuff? What do you think? You know, it's like, don't play dumb. They were joking about this and then she gets slut shamed at the end. Yeah. It it all leads (laughs) up. Like it it just builds and builds for Jerry to say, well, you asked for it. Yeah. And that's pretty much the end. Like we do get another little bit of her storyline to, to cap the episode, but that's pretty much the end of Jerry and her interactions. Yeah. That's how he ends it. Well, what kind of woman drinks an entire bottle of wine? Entire um, box. Entire too. box of so wine. Not Sorry. Only, yeah, like, that's right. So, so not only she's asking for it, but she's trashy. Yes. George runs in with a squirrel and a baby Bjorn. And I love how they hid the squirrel. It was like, well, we can't have him run in with like a fake squirrel. What can we do? Put the baby Bjorn with the squirrel in. It was hilarious. It was a really, hilarious really concept. well done. And Jim Fowler remarks that hawks and, and squirrels are mortal enemies. And the hawk attacks George as we pause the end of the episode. We do get a couple more scenes here to tag the episode. At Monk's, we're at the sometimes seen wall side table. And... The whole set was destroyed by the hawk and squirrel uh, fight, and George (laughs) is all scratched up on his face, and Kramer is kind of done with the talk show life. He was filling 10 hours a day. (laughs) Jeez. And Miranda was there picking up nut bread, presumably for the squirrel, and uh, some pigeons land on the window outside Monk's, and George yells at them about uh, he's about to get in his car, and they don't have a deal with him. Uh, And then one last scene over at Celia's, Elaine is loading up Celia with turkey and wine again, and Lou is there, and so they're both going to be uh, taking advantage of Celia and, I guess, steal the bubblegum. And that's it, although we do get... The another audio stinger over the oh, castle shit. rock. Yeah. And this was um, Kramer's music from his talk show, I believe. Oh, okay. Did it have the stinger. turn music off? No, it. although it, it definitely ah. should have. Yeah, that would have been great. Turn music off. 
Especially right at the end whenever it just shuts off. Yeah, that would have been perfect. <laughs> but no, it, uh, it wasn't. God. I just got to say, uh, 10 hours a day, Kramer would be killing it on Twitch right now. Oh, yeah. Man. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Just like a, an endless amount of content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, immediate affiliate. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, so what do we got for homework this week? Uh, we've got what is the deal with Kane and Abel? What's the deal with the Merv Griffin show uh, and Jim Fowler? Okay, yeah, I I think that's that's enough. Uh, wh- yeah. What do you like for cover art? <sighs> you know, I liked Newman and Kramer sitting on set. Although you could just probably, by themselves, yeah. Before the lights went out, would probably be would probably be the best. But uh, also, you could probably get a, a a wide shot of the whole set at some point. That might be good. Maybe all the uh, something that wasn't Merv Griffin related, all the feathers popping up from the front of George's car, I thought was a funny shot. It was funny the way they did that. What are you thinking? Uh, I I was gonna say something with the set. I, I like yeah. the I like the scene with all of them with uh with Jerry, Elaine, Newman, and then I, I think Newman is there whenever George comes in. Isn't that right? Or is Newman's involvement with the set after George comes in? No, George is in there, yeah, because George is telling, um, yeah, George That's and Jerry right. are in there at first, and then, yeah, that would be a good one, too, yeah, definitely. I So I'll, I'll just try and find a wide shot with as many people on the set as possible, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of sets, did you notice that there was no scene in Jerry's apartment? I Not did. Not once. Not a yeah. single scene, yeah. <laughs> so there is no Superman in this episode. We've broken our streak that started like wow. back in season seven or something, if not wow. before. Yeah. So uh, this is it. No Superman in this episode. All right. Um, what did you think of this episode? We forgot to do this last week. I think I included it in the in the Patreon extra, but it did not make it to the actual episode. Right. Right. Yeah. I again, like I said, I started because I got so many laughs. At, in the first half of the episode, but this is going to be a real, at the end of the season, a real Yankee Bean situation for me because I loved the episode that Yankee Beans is in, as <laughs> as difficult as that joke was, but this one's even worse than that, you know? Yeah, I, I, aside from going like as in-depth on the explanation as you did, uh, I'm I'm in th- the same camp, really. I, I, I think I got to start, but I don't feel good about it. Yeah. <laughs> like, because there are parts of it that are hilarious. And, and there are parts of even the scenes in Celia's apartment that are very funny. <laughs> yeah. But I just can't put aside the whole notion of that story. <laughs> yeah. The fact that, that that they were writing that and they thought it was hilarious. And, and here's the difference between <laughs> that and something like, uh, you know, people like to try to cancel Michael Scott all the time. And like he's not he's not rewarded for yeah anything offensive that he does, but nothing happens to Jerry, and that's part of the that's part of the that's part of Seinfeld. Like they do all these awful things, and nothing ever happens to them. But you know, I don't know how they could extend the toy metaphor, but a toy policeman should have arrested Jerry at some point. You know, like something should have happened where he's you know where yeah, they could I, have I made him get like... some comeuppance. Yeah, I, I think like everything with you're you're totally right. Everything with that storyline. Could have been uh, played out exactly was it what exactly as it was, but if Jerry faced any iota of of comeuppance, like you said, it, it would have made it ten times better. Yeah, like when like when uh, Michael Scott is doing like his Indian voice and he gets slapped by Kelly, something like that. 
You know, yeah. it's like no one yeah. thinks Michael Scott was being funny, but he gets slapped <laughs> by Kelly, and that you know is what should have happened to a character like that. You know, it's like we don't absolutely we don't hate him, we don't want to cancel him, but like you know, Jerry is like, absolved of everything. Of their- the end of their story should not have been Jerry saying, what kind of woman drinks a whole box of wine? And, yeah. you know. Well, you were drunk, so good luck proving anything. You know? <laughs> yeah. What, what, what kind of an ending is that? Yeah, I know. So I'll be very curious when, we also didn't do the countdown to Netflix this time during news, but that that's on the way. Um, I'll be very curious to see when people get to this episode, what sort of. Uh, you know, if there's any sort of outcry about it, it'll be very interesting to see. Like, this is what should have canceled Seinfeld. Oh man, I, you know, we're we're still gonna probably have to do include like stuff with Seinfeld in our news whenever we move on to our next show. Which, um, if you subscribe to our Patreon, you already know what we're moving on to after Seinfeld is over. Mm-hmm. Um, but we will take that secret to our grave of the Seinfeld show. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, un- until we just drop episode one on you. Yeah. But uh, I-, I feel like with it being available on Netflix, we'll still have to like talk about it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. At the end of the day, this is this- it started as a Seinfeld podcast, so it's still got to be Seinfeld news-oriented. We'll, and, yeah. we'll do uh, the, uh, the, the LDCU news, uh, Larry David Cinematic Universe news. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so does that mean you have to do Craig Bierko and Steven Weber news, too? <laughs> oh, fuck that. <laughs> We just do a dedicated segment to it every week. And nothing new on the Steven Weber and Craig Bierko front. Again, for the 150th week in a row. It's the countdown to Craig Bierko news. The, the countdown countdown to Sour Grapes 2. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Let's get that, get that Kickstarter going right now. Oh, no. <laughs> Uh, okay, so so did you start this episode? I forget what you said. I, I did, and, and I'm going to leave okay. it where it is for now. But, you know, it might not. I haven't really started anything that I'm like, this is 100% making the top five. But yeah, for the first half of this episode, I was like, you know, before I realized how horribly it aged, I was like, oh, this is definitely top five. And now I don't know. It's going to be a real game time decision in uh, in a few episodes, 17 episodes, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's see what we can do about this week's description. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we had, as Kramer puts a discarded talk show set in his apartment, Jerry schemes to play with a girlfriend's vintage toys, period. Elaine deals with a scheming employee. Using the word scheme twice? I don't know if I like that. And also, we debated as to whether or not he's scheming. So let's take that out. I I honestly like the first two, but let's I think we just need to retool Elaine's. So Elaine, is it Elaine deals with a scheming employee? Yeah. Um, Elaine deals deals with a shifty employee a quiet employee a shifty an is unusual not, employee shifty is not bad um yeah he's not really scheming i mean can we just say sidling or does that ruin the joke of of the word i think it title? ruins the joke yeah what's what's like soft spoken but with feet <laughs> you know uh-huh. what about what, unassuming is that right or isn't there uh, there's like Soft-footed, you know, something like that. Light-footed, light-footed, yeah. Light-footed, is that Hold a word? On. I, it is right. I'm googling soft-spoken but for walking. <laughs> um, there is a, there is a first about, result is ASMR soft-spoken Walmart supplies makeup aisle walkthrough that is see if you like, minutes oh, long. What about fleet-footed? That's that just means fast. Maybe that's not. Uh, what about? Mm. Okay, so this says light-footed is a word, so I think we can use that. But see if you like this: nimble, agile, deft lithe remember that uh, they talked about the word lithe uh in mm. an episode before spry mm, 
limber, lissom, I don't know what that means, swift, fast, quick, nippy, <laughs> what? Ooh. And fleet-footed. I kind of like, I like either light-footed or nimble. I, I like nimble because, yeah. um, like, spry, I, I feel like is, to describe, an older person who who can still, like, do, like, a 40-yard yeah. dash. Yeah, that, yeah. That's the first thing I think of. But yeah, I, I like nimble. But see what you th- so we like nimble, but see what you think of these two. Deals with a, a creeping employee, a, a sneaky. Ooh, sneaky's not bad. Ooh. Yeah, I think I sneaky like takes sneaky. it. Yeah. I think sneaky takes it. Yeah, there we go. Deals with a sneaky employee. Okay, and I'm we. I'm getting rid of that the weird like division in sentences. <laughs> so we've got as Kramer puts a discarded talk show set in his apartment, Jerry schemes to play with a girlfriend's vintage toys, and Elaine deals with a sneaky employee. Perfect. Pretty much, pretty much the exact same thing, just changing out one word. Yeah, but perfect. It it's much better. <laughs> yes. Oh, boy. All right. So next week we have got season nine, episode seven, the Slicer. Original air date November thirteenth, nineteen ninety seven. And if you're looking at TV Guide that night, you are going to see Kramer gets into meat slicing, semicolon, Jerry dates a doctor, parenthetical, Marsha Cross, who isn't impressed with his job, semicolon, George's new boss is a former adversary. Whoa, this sounds exciting. I definitely remember the, um, the, I love the first part of that is Kramer gets into meat slicing. Like it's a hobby (laughs) that everyone, oh, he's getting into that? Yeah, a lot of people are getting into meat slicing these days. I love that uh, already. I, I mean... My my father owns a meat slicer. He was into meat slicing at one point in his life. I guess you does it start out as a hobby? <laughs> I think it starts out as a hobby cuz you you buy your own meat slicer and you go to a yeah. deli and you just buy uh, he would always like uh buy the sticks of pepperoni yeah. and and set the slicer at its thickest settings and he would always have thick pepperoni. Ooh yeah. <laughs> Maximum skin. <laughs> oh no. Um, charcuterie pioneer of the Hollowell family. Oh man. Um, uh, yeah, I think my parents had a giant deli slicer too. I seem to remember. <laughs> Maybe it was just something like people had in the seventies. You're like, yeah, you, everyone's got to have this appliance. Like, what? Why did we all do that? <laughs> I mean, in the seventies, my dad was ten. Oh, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> my parents were like out on their own, I think, and so well, not oh, I okay. think. I mean, they were like, yeah, that was when they were starting to have kids in the in the late seventies. But I remember just like. <laughs> Being told that the blade was like very sharp and it was, you know, it, it protruded in a way that it might have been easy for a kid to cut themselves on if they were playing. Oh, with it. So, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I just remember it being a dangerous thing in our house. And, and I'm like, why did we have that? I don't know. I guess everyone was just into everyone- meat slicing. <laughs> Much like Kramer does in, yeah. in next week's episode. <laughs> yeah. So so this will be good. I don't even know who the former adversary is. So um, I can't wait to see it. Uh, so is that it? Yeah, I think that's it. All right. For No Hugging, No Learning, I'm Tim Murphy. I'm Tim. Ted Hollowell. Be good.